the football season is reaching its conclusion and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment, every stat through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast. It's brought to you by The Athletic and we are an EFL-focused podcast. Of course, what that means is there are thousands and thousands of talking points and topics when you talk about the football itself, but also when you talk about things off the field in the EFL. Quite aside from COVID-19 and global pandemics, the governance of EFL clubs has been a, a, a hot topic for the wrong reasons over the last few years and even more so over the last 12 months. Berry were expelled from the league this time last year. Wigan Athletic suffering uh, a points deduction which saw them relegated from the championship just a few weeks ago. Uh, a, a state of affairs essentially completely out of the football club's control and engineered by their owners. This is the case at a lot of different EFL clubs. Today, George, we're focusing in on one club, uh, a, a, a dispute at Charlton Athletic, one of the consequences of which could be expulsion from the EFL. We wanted to make sure that we do the story justice, do it properly. I think we've spoken to the right people today on this pod. Yeah, I think so. On Tuesday, the plan wasn't necessarily to, to do this pod, but I think that transfers and managerial appointments can wait whilst there's something uh, as important as this going on. And a, a few Charlton fans got in touch with us and said, you know, you should do a, a special on this. And we had a we had a chat between us and decided that, yes, you know, it is important for us to do this and, and to to get this story towards the, the top of the agenda and speak about it in a way that will hopefully help the situation at, at one of the most established EFL clubs around. And we managed to speak to, to The Athletic's uh, writer, Jack Pitbrook, who's been covering the story ever since the initial uh, takeover back in January. Uh, he fills us in with the latest updates. Uh, we spoke to Heather Alderson, who is part of the, uh, on the board of the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust, and spoke to her about the the fan mobilisation to save their club, uh, what they're doing in order to try and make this situation better. Uh, and then we spoke to Charlton assistant manager, Johnny Jackson, um, about how this is affecting his and Lee Bowyer's job running the, the footballing side of, of the club. And, you know, speaking to him as somebody who has played for the club, uh, who's captained them and is now now sits in the dugout, just how it's affecting him uh, and how he he hopes it can be resolved. So Jack's obviously been been writing uh, bits and bobs on this over the last few months for The Athletic. Uh, of course, over the last year or so on site, you've had huge investigations, if you will, or, or, or deep dives into ownership issues, for want of a better word, at clubs like Hull City, um, the issue at Wigan Athletic recently with Adam Crafton, uh, with Birmingham City as well. Uh, all of those can be found on the Athletic site. Uh, and Matt Slater, of course, who is the investigative journalist, uh, the best around, who, who covers all sorts, not just in the EFL, but has a, a special place in his heart for it. Um, all these great 
articles and writers are part of The Athletic. And, and if you're not a subscriber, uh, of course, it's worth signing up. You can get a 30-day free trial, in fact, so that you can check it all out before going forward with a, an annual subscription. If you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod, that's where you'll get a 30-day free trial. So check that out today. Now we'll move on with the topic of today's podcast, which is a focus on Charlton Athletic and what on earth is going on behind the scenes there. Jack Pitbrook, who has been covering this story, uh, which has been difficult to cover at times, I think it's fair to say, uh, for The Athletic, joins us again. Uh, Jack, last time we spoke, things had really kicked off just as the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And you ran us through the ins and outs and the various characters, chances in some cases involved. Uh, it, It seems to have become more serious, or at least we've understood that the situation is more serious the longer that it goes on. And there now seems to be a genuine fear that Charlton could, worst case scenario, be expelled from the league like Barry were this time last year. Could you give us an update on the situation and what the main issues and headlines are at the moment? The main issue at the moment is just complete uncertainty about the ownership of the club and the future of the club. Uh, The main development since we last spoke about this in March is that there has been, I suppose you could call it a failed takeover or a failed transfer of the club's ownership when East Street Investments, the company that bought the club in January, was effectively transferred to a man called Paul Elliott, who is a businessman from Manchester and an associate of Chris Farnell, who had previously been the lawyer for Nima who was one of the parties in the civil war between the East Street Investments investors back in March. Now, that takeover was effectively dependent on Elliot and Farnell passing the EFL's owners and directors test. If they passed the test, they'd control the club. But they failed the test, and the EFL had been spent quite a while thinking about this, but they came out last week and announced that they would not be giving the takeover approval. And that means that there's a big question mark, really, over who is actually in charge. Is it the first iteration of East Street Investments? Is it the second iteration of East Street Investments? And all through this, Charlton have been relegated down to League One, which puts their financial position in an even worse state than it was when we were talking back in March, when they were still playing in the championship and looked like they had... a decent chance of staying up. So yeah, it's very me- it's very messy and I think lots of Charlton fans are extremely anxious about it. There seems to be genuine concern amongst Charlton fans that not only is this, you know, a, a dire situation in terms of a takeover, but it could lead to their expulsion from the AFL entirely. And what would be the reasons for that possibility and, and do you think that is, you know, is that a likelihood if they don't get this takeover sorted fairly soon? Well, this has been floating around in the background for a few weeks now, this fear that they might get expelled from the league if the league don't think that they have serious or credible owners of any sort. How likely it is, honestly, I don't know. It's such a uh, it's such a difficult technical issue and there's still plenty of talks ongoing. There are certainly people who want to stop it from happening. The favoured bid from amongst the Charlton fans is from Peter Varney, the former chief executive of the club, and Andrew Barkley, who's part of the Barkley family. Varney's obviously very, very closely associated with the club, and Varney and Barkley have been wanting to buy the club and the training ground and the stadium, which are owned separately by former owner Roland Duchatelet, 
for a while. And if they did that, then the EFL would obviously approve them and things would start looking up for Charlton. Just last night, um, the local paper in South London, the journalist Richard Corley broke a story about Thomas Sandgard, who's a Danish investor who wants to save the club. And if he were to buy the club, then I'm sure he would be successful as well. But what the EFL won't stand for in the same way is this confusion and people not not knowing who owns East Street Investments, not knowing who owns Charlton Athletic, not having approved directors. And that's why at the moment it's such a shambles. And do you know why that sort of preferred bidder with Peter Varney involved, what's holding them back at the moment? Why is that not moving forward at this stage? Well, I don't think that... Elliot and Farnell, who were known as E Street Investments 2, were especially keen on talking to Varney and Barclay. Varney and Barclay have wanted to save the club all along. They've got a huge amount of public support, but ESI 2 didn't really want to talk to them. If ESI 2 are out of the picture now, and it looks like they might be, and control has reverted to ESI 1, which is Tenu Nima and two Romanian directors, Claudio Florica and Marion Mihail. It seems as if ESI 1 are back in charge, and I would imagine that ESI 1 would rather sell the club than own it, because, of course, for now it's just losing money. So if that is the case, then they might well be able to negotiate with Varney and Barclay. The other issue here is that when ESI bought the club from Du Châtelet back in January, They did a deal which said they had an option to buy the valley and the training ground within the next four or five years for £50 million. For ESI to sell the club to someone else, Duchatelet would effectively have to be giving up on the promise of that money. And that would mean that any new buyer, whether it's Sangard or Varney and Barclay or anyone else, would have to negotiate separately with Duchatelet as well as with ESI to buy the training ground and the valley. And of course, Duchatelet thinks or Duchatelet has a piece of paper saying that these assets are worth £50 million. So it would become a, a very, very expensive acquisition. And that's why I think in many ways it is such an unattractive club to buy unless you have real enthusiasm for it and a lot of money. And that means that it's going to take quite a lot of sorting out from here. If we talk about the EFL's role in all this, because there seems to be, as is always the case, um, rightly or wrongly, a lot of fan um, upset as to the way that the EFL have, have kind of dealt with this case, how they let Tanu Nima buy the club when apparently he shouldn't have passed the fit and proper test along with Matt Southall, how they've blocked the takeover from of a Paul Elliott, despite the fact that Paul Elliott has been, you know, he's been said to have been paying the salaries for the last few months uh, whilst not being allowed to buy the club. And, and potentially that could be a block in terms of opening this to other potential suitors as well. So, I mean, does the EFL have any... Any questions to answer here or, or are they basically playing by the book and their, their hands are kind of tied by the fit and proper test, which is already, you know, the stipulations of which are already set out? Well, to be honest, I think the uh, I think the EFL could have done worse. Um, I think the bar is so low in terms of our expectations of the EFL nowadays, particularly after the Barry and Bolton situations and so many clubs being run awfully and going to the wall. The fact that the EFL have failed Farnell and Elliot on the owners and directors test this week after huge amounts of pressure from Charlton fans and I mean I think frankly it would have been easier for the EFL just to pass Farnell and Elliot because at least then Farnell and Elliot would be in charge of ESI and the football club and then it frankly becomes their problem so the fact that the EFL had said actually no we're not going to pass you on the test because we, we haven't been you haven't proved that you can fulfill the criteria of the test I think is 
impressive by the standards of the EFL, I suppose is the best way of putting it. Whether or not the initial takeover back in January should have happened, I mean, look, it, it's amazing to be in a situation where we think that the Duchatelet era was actually better than this, but I think arguably it was. Like, at least with Duchatelet, people knew who was in charge, even if it was awful for the club and he, he treated the club terribly. You know, we know all this by now. But yeah, everything that's come after Du Châtelet has just been worse and worse and worse. We've seen that this week Charlton have signed a couple of players despite being under an embargo, um, which is <laughs> confusing at least to me. What's the situation there at the moment? Yeah, recruitment has been another issue in recent weeks as well. Um, Farnell and Elliot tried to bring in Dave Jones, the former Southampton manager. Um, Dave Jones is an old friend of Farnell. They worked together at Bury in the dying days of that football club about a year ago. Um, so the idea was that Dave Jones would come in over the top of Lee Bowyer and Steve Gallen, who's the director of football, to do recruitment. But that obviously didn't work out. Charlton fans, were few, there was a huge fan backlash against Dave Jones. And Steve Gallen tried to tried to start signing players for the new season, lined up deals for Connor Washington and Alex Gilby. These were initially blocked by the EFL because Charlton have been under a registration embargo basically since the first ESI takeover in January, I think. But that embargo has been not quite lifted, but kind of modified in such a way that Washington and Gilby have signed this week, which is a huge boost for Charlton, given that they've got the League One season starts in a few weeks. I think they return to pre-season training today or maybe this weekend. Uh, And the squad is not in a good state. The squad is worse than it was last season. Frankly, it was worse, much worse than it was when they got promoted from League One two years ago. They've lost the loan players, they've lost the free agents, they've lost Lyle Taylor. So obviously the benefit of having these two new signings will be hugely important. Well, whether it's super wealthy businessman Thomas Sandgard, as he's been uh, monikered in the local press, uh, or Peter Varney and Andrew Barclay's potential takeover let's hope for some good news in the coming week and and jack as before thank you for for putting in the hard work and putting in the calls and, and giving us an update on this pod my pleasure hi there i'm david ornstein and i've launched a brand new show on youtube ask ornstein where i answer questions from our athletic subscribers to get your question answered simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every monday and i'll choose my favorites to watch the show head over to the tifo podcast youtube channel and a new episode will be up every tuesday afternoon so great to be able to talk to Charlton Athletic assistant manager Johnny Jackson. Johnny, it's been a couple of weeks since the the heartbreak of, of relegation from the championship. Um, guessing you're you're back in training this week. Yeah, yeah, back this week. Um, just getting the lads in, just sort of uh, fitness stuff really this week. Testing, obviously they haven't had they haven't had the, the biggest break that like the, the normal break they they would have. So um, we're just getting a little bit of testing sort of out of the way, and then pretty much sort of straight back into the football stuff from Monday, cracking on with a four-week build-up. So obviously it's, it's, it's a lot different this year to what it normally would be. Haven't got as long to prepare, but then also they haven't, well, the majority of them haven't had as long break either. So, so it should work out okay. Heartbreaking relegation towards the end of the season, which, as you mentioned, was only a few weeks ago, uh, a shorter break than normal. And of course, more or less the subject of this podcast uh, some fairly high-profile chaos off the field. Um, it, it must make 
the realities of your working environment as the assistant manager and, and Lee Bowyer, of course, really, really difficult. Um, what are you guys doing first few days back to sort of uh, approach the players and try and keep the atmosphere positive? Just exactly that, really. Obviously, I mean, we was gutted. We were, we was gutted and it took us a good while to, to sort of get over it. And, you you, you know, you do think, oh, am I going to go back and, and be ready to, to go again in a few weeks? But... You know, you you have to get over it. And me and Lee had conversations and was keen to say that once we're back in there, then then it becomes about business again and you have to get back on it. And, you know, it's important that, that you're ready to sort of motivate the players. And we're selling it as a, as, as a new challenge. It's a new challenge for ourselves again, myself and Lee and the staff. And, and we're selling it as a new challenge to the lads now. After all the adversity last year and, and the way that ended, can you use that as motivation and fuel to try and bounce straight back up? That's what we all want to do professionally. Obviously, it's being made slightly more difficult with, I think you, I think you said chaos, Ali. Uh, we'll mm. go with that word off the pitch. Obviously, doesn't help the, the situation. After the relegation, I did see fans on Twitter <laughs> saying that they would actually understand if yourself uh, and Lee left the club given the success under these conditions that you've had uh, as, a, as a management duo, the amount of jobs that you've been linked to in the press over the last year or two as well. Why are you guys carrying on despite these conditions being so tough, so chaotic? There's a number of reasons. We're, we're obviously professionals and, you know, you sign contracts and you, you've you got a job to do. And, yeah, despite, you know, the, the, there's reasons perhaps why we ended up getting relegated and but you know you can't completely absolve yourself from that and uh, and there's a willingness to want to go and put it right again professionally to do the right thing obviously we both have a massive affinity with a football club to just walk away would be would be heartbreaking and it would be you know it was it was never something that that either of us wanted to do we've had this conversation before we just we just want and need some help really to be able to do the job to, to the best of our ability. So that bit is a little bit out of our hands, but, you know, we feel like we owe it to the football club, to the fans, the supporters that, you know, despite a relegation, I think I've barely seen sort of a crossword towards us on, on the social media and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people sort of understand some of the circumstances behind it. I think we're, we're all keen to sort of give it another go. And, and you know, we, we've had success in this, in this division before in our very first season as, as as manager and coach. So we know what it takes to get out of the league and, and we're keen to, to get the opportunity to do it again. Are the players talking about what's going on? Are you and Lee talking about it a lot or is it a case of just getting your head down and hoping for uh, for you know for good news to, to eventually come? Yeah, I mean, obviously me and, me and Lee talk about it regularly. You know, he's privy to more conversations from above the, than what I am, but he, you know, he, he, he relays everything down to me just to keep me in the loop and, it's a change. It seems like it's a changing landscape pretty much daily at the moment. So you know, you'll have one conversation one day, and then that might have changed by the next day, and then there's a new plan or or a new agenda. So you have to be careful how much you tell the players. One, because you know you don't want to fill their head with too much sort of outside interference, and two, you don't know how quickly that that what you're telling them is going to change anyway. So I, I think it'd be not constructed to to tell too much but then they're, they're, they're not stupid and they read social media and they see everything that's going on so so they would be aware so we are in a dialogue with the lads we, at the moment we said we're just trying to you know the message is it's the start pre-season preparing for a new season you you worry about what you can worry about that's that's getting fit as a player me and Lee will worry about preparing the team and the other stuff is pretty much out of our hands 
we're just you know we we're just all desperate for it to get resolved sort of one way hopefully in a, in a in a positive light for the football club i suppose the fact that you can't really affect it and you don't know you don't know with any certainty what direction it's going to go it does make it difficult because i mean in any sort of job or workplace or or, or life really I, I think uncertainty is is not a good thing the ridiculous thing is you you've been under that cloud, even under former ownership as well, in, in your long stint at the club, there must have been many moments where you've had to send the same messages to, to players, even when you were a captain, uh, about focusing on what you can what what you can affect. And it's just been a few years of that. Uh, another thing that you've done fairly well or very well uh, as a as a team with Steve Gallen in charge of it is recruitment over the last few years. I don't think fans necessarily understood at the time that in January you were under this soft transfer embargo because proof of funds had not been proved to the EFL, an issue that is still ongoing eight months later. Um, you have signed two players this week, Alex Gilby and Connor Washington. So positive news on that front. Can you explain what restrictions yourself and the recruitment team are under at the moment as you look to build a squad for the new season? It's quite confusing and it, you know, it it's not straightforward. So yeah, I mean, Going back to January, obviously we was we was trying to we well, we was promised that we would get help. We desperately needed it at at that stage. We was sort of in the midst of a bit of a injury crisis, and we was promised sort of that we would get that help in in the market. And then obviously it came out that we was actually under an embargo, and you know we didn't we didn't get the help that that we perhaps needed. And the way that that we understood it up until sort of fairly recently was that we would be able to. To sign a few players, obviously the the deals for those like lads Alex Gilby and Connor Washington were lined up, and then the AFL said no, you can't sign them. So it looked like it was not going to happen. And then I can only assume that they've looked at those two on a case by case sort of situation, and perhaps the, I mean the deals were agreed with the lads in the two clubs, so they've let them go through. But beyond those two, I, I really don't know. I mean, as it stands today, I, I don't believe that we are allowed to. To, to sign players but obviously we have to try and put a, a squad together so I mean whether that's filling it up with younger lads or whether they, the EFL would look at it on a case-by-case case basis and let you bring in you know a, a couple of couple of bodies I, I I don't know I honestly don't know I mean Lee and Steve I know are working tirelessly behind the scenes to try and get players in and, and, and to line up deals but ultimately it'll be the owners whoever they are as it stands today or the EFL to decide whether whether they're allowed that so it is it is it isn't straightforward it really isn't I mean we we, we desperately need more players in so I mean I hope that we're given the uh, the license to do that but I couldn't say with any certainty whether that's the case. Here on the Going Up, Going Down podcast, we certainly support the safe CAFC movement that we are seeing on social media at the moment um, around some rumours about a possible expulsion from the EFL if these off-field issues aren't sorted. I mean, from your point of view, as somebody who gave so many years of service to the club as a player, as a captain, and now as a coach as well, somebody who I'm sure, you know, you've got Charlton athletic running through your blood rather than just it being uh, another job. I mean, what would you say to anybody listening to this possibly who could in some way help the situation coming from somebody who's so close to the club and knows it so well? I just think exposure is is the way forward. So what yeah, what you see with the CAFC hashtag has been amazing over the last few days. Um, not just fans jumping on it, but fans, supporters of other teams, celebrities and things like that. So 
the sort of making people aware of the situation, what you guys are doing, you know, devoting a podcast to it. I think the more national press it can get, the better, because that creates, you know, a little bit of pressure on, on people to, to act, if you like, and to act with the best interest of the football club. I mean, what happened with Berry was, was obviously terrible, really, really sad as, as, as someone in football. That was, a, that was a sad day when that happened. And obviously, personally, for Charlton Athletic to be spoken about in the same light is, is heartbreaking for me and a football club of this size and this history and this stature you know, that can't, can't and it shouldn't be allowed to happen. I've got no reason to think that it will, it will go down that way. I think that would be the absolute sort of last, last result. And I think that there's a lot of things that can be done between now and then to, to avoid that situation. But it's going to need help. It's going to need people to be sensible, sit down and, and fresh it out and, uh, and decide what's, what's best for the future of the football club. And obviously, again, you're, you're a little bit powerless, but to see the weight of support behind it in the last few days, what... I mean, what the supporters are doing is, is amazing, really, and they always, always step up when it's when it's needed, and they've done it again. Uh, but to see to see people getting behind it, and like I say, the coverage that it's that it's now getting, I think is can only be a good thing if 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 people are aware of the situation at Charlton, then they're more likely to uh, to act to try and help help it out. I think JJ, you came through at, at Spurs. You're an Arsenal boy, truly, <laughs> but this club's really got under your skin hasn't it yeah I mean I'm a Charlton boy Ali you know you grow up grow up supporting Arsenal you know I, I, I love Arsenal but Charlton's been just massive massive part of my life I think I'm into the my 12th year at the football club now player coach captain best times of my career best times of my life so it means everything to me and uh, you know to see it sort of used as a plaything and, and abused and then spoken about as you know, possibly not even existing seems, I mean, it's mind boggling and yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. It can't, you know, that, that, that cannot be allowed to happen. I mean, you can live with promotions, relegations, you know, that's the ups and downs of football and supporters will, will ultimately, you know, they'll, they'll deal with that. But, but like the football clubs, their life to a lot of these people going, going, going to the Valley on a Saturday, traveling away to away games. That's, that's what they live for a lot of people. And, if they wasn't to have that, that would be it would be incredibly, incredibly sad. But you know, I, I, I'm always sort of reluctant to talk about that because I, do, I don't, you know, I don't see it going that way. I think I think there's too much weight behind us now, and uh, you know, I prefer to I prefer to think about it positively and say no, we'll you know we will, as always, Charlton Fleet will come out the other side of this and and have and have a bright future. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com going and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of The Athletic Podcasts, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver you a case with a different theme. So far, themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. 
As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is chucked in too. Just go to beer52.com forward slash going to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, going up, going down listeners, get two extra free beers. Very important to get the opinions of fans in situations like this. And we're delighted to be joined by a board member on the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust, Heather Alderson. So Heather, we see the Save CAFC hashtag on Twitter and there seems to be genuine fan concern that Charlton Athletic could be going the same way as Bury. How serious a situation do you feel the club are currently in? We think it's extremely serious. Um, all the things that happened at Bury seem to have happened to us, with many of the same characters involved. And it's uh, 28 days to go before the start of football season, so there's no time to lose. We've, we've got to kind of do everything in our power to save our club. The worst case scenario is expulsion from the Football League and we can't let that happen. Heather, it's such a tough situation for a fan base to be in uh, and yet Charlton is a fan base with unbelievable energy and something of a tradition, uh, certainly in in modern times, of of having to take matters into their own hands, into your own hands, I should say. Uh, Could you talk us through what the fans are doing at the moment in order to try and impact what is another threatening off-the-field situation? Because, of course, there's no fan representation on the board, so you really are having to influence it almost from the outside, despite the fact that you're the lifeblood of the club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Firstly, um, anybody that wants to mess with Charlton has picked the wrong fans, I think. Um, As you say, we've got a history of of organisation. We've got a history of unity. We're a family club. We go back generations within families. It really, really means everything to people. So people have got an enormous amount of energy. Right now, there's an incredible unity amongst the fan base. We are keeping our club at the top of the news agenda as much as we possibly can. We are trying to back people that could be uh, suitable bidders for the club. We're aware of all the obstacles that could be in the way, not least because Roland de Chatelet still owns the the valley and the training ground, and that needs to be part and parcel of any deal moving forward. Some fans have recently played a visit to uh, Chris Farnell, uh, where they chanced upon Dave Jones in his office as well, which um, (laughs) set the cat amongst the pigeons, to say the least. As a supporters trust, we have uh, organised something called Our Club, where we've said to fans that if it comes to it, uh, you know, if we go into administration, are we prepared to step in and step forward as a fan base as a sort of last resort to kind of try and see the club through? People have been stepping forward in their thousands, so everybody's doing their bit right now. There are so many different figures playing a part, whether it's Roland de Chatelet, whether it's Tanu Nima, uh, Matt Southall. Uh, you've now got, as you mentioned, the, uh, the, the lawyer as well, um, Mr Farnell. I mean, it seems like there are so many characters at play. You also add into that the, the Paul Elliott and his consortium trying to buy the club. Yeah. Who do you see as being currently at blame for the situation? I mean, I know a lot of people will look back to previous owners, the current owners as well, and the people trying to buy, but who do you think is at blame at the moment? And what would you say to them in order to try and resolve this situation? I mean, the root of the current problem lies with Roland de Chatelet. 
to be perfectly honest. I mean, he, he sold the club to a pa for a pound and um, he's had a, an agreement in place with ESI, who are the current owners of the club. They are um, the joint shareholding there is Tanu Nima and Matt Southall, as you mentioned. And uh, he feels as if he has got a deal in place for them to buy the Valley and the training ground from him for 50 million pounds within the next five years. The, there is no way, of course, that it's worth that. Um, but he's seeking to recoup the losses that he made through his mismanagement of the club when he owned it from 2014. So I think the, the root problem of the current problem, if you like, lies there. But in addition, of course, then there are the EFL tests and so on that really are showing themselves not to be fit for purpose at, at present. And every every supporter in every club, it seems to, ne uh, to be now, is calling on um, the government for a statutory review of the owners and directors tests and so on, because uh, we, we are under embargo partly because we've not so shown source and sufficiency of funds uh, to be able to run the football club to 2021 at the moment. So it, it lies in two places, Roland and the EFL, I think. Uh, you mentioned that as well as keeping Charlton at the top of the news cycle and, and, and raising awareness that there is uh, a, a financial aspect of, of the supporters' trust and the, the support that you're trying to gain in mm. the worst case scenario of administration. Um, of course, you have to get the, the sort of initial issues out of the way first and foremost to save the club. Do you think there'd be any scope for, you know, a, a fan ownership of Charlton Athletic in, in the near future? Or, or does, say, that £50 million number that Duchatelet values the training ground in the Valley at just render that almost entirely moot? It is certainly an absolutely massive obstacle to, to anybody, actually, that wants to own the club, let alone supporters. In terms of whether or not the fan, fan ownership is a viable proposition, I think you kind of need to look at other clubs, such as Portsmouth, Midlothian in Scotland and so on for, for different models but nearly all of those are sort of blended models really between fans and um, made wealthy benefactors we we need to be at the table if it comes to it but ultimately we have to be realistic about that 50 million pounds and also potentially other debts that are within the club that we don't really know about at this point. Of course, this isn't all just because yourself and other fans want a football team to follow on the weekend. Uh, the club, as many EFL clubs are, all of them actually, has a huge impact in its local area as oh, a community club. Can you explain the sorts of things that would fall by the wayside just on a social level should the club fall into really, really tough times? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Charlton Athletic has, has led the way in many ways in terms of community involvement. The, uh, the Community Trust has been award-winning across um, numbers of years in terms of its activity, in t from anything to fighting knife crime, to helping people with mental health problems, food banks, uh, uh, community activities in the summer holidays for children, which is particularly important helping people get active and, and so on and so forth. I mean, Greenwich Council, which is obviously the authority in which the club exists, have been very, very vocal about the importance of the club to the community 
in southeast London. You can see on social media, especially amongst Charlton fans, but also in the wider football community, the wider fan base, whether it's football fans of other clubs or, or national journalists, all looking to support the movement to save Charlton Athletics. So for people listening, for, for myself, for Ali, I mean, what can we do in order to make sure that this has a has a happy, maybe that's the wrong word, but just has, has an ending that, that satisfies Charlton Athletic fans and ensures that, that you keep your rightful place in the Football League? Well, for a start, I, I, thank you, because I think uh, the support from the rest of the football community means an awful lot to Charlton fans. Uh, so being standing with us, I think, is, is emotionally important. It gives us strength. It, give us, it, you know, it gives us conviction. So keep, keep backing us, keep standing with us. That is, that is great. I think in terms of pressure on the EFL uh, to help them through to get to a better situation, uh, that, that is also good. I think to a certain extent, they've been victim of their own rules in, in this, and it is now time for those to, to change. And hopefully there will be some fan engagement around how those get changed. And I would encourage fans to engage with that. I think I would encourage fans to engage with it positively. Uh, we kind of know that it's wrong, but now is the time to get it right. Well, thank you, Heather Alderson from Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust for, for joining us, first and foremost, giving up your time at such a busy time, but also for uh, speaking so eloquently about what is such a, an emotional situation as well for you at the moment. Thank you. George, I feel like uh, out of the three or with the three people that have, have given us their time today we've got a, a decent overview but sadly an overview of what is still just such a chaotic situation and, and one where I think we all understand what the ideal solution is but I have to admit without wanting to be pessimistic it doesn't necessarily seem a simple solution. It doesn't feel like we're particularly close to to anything be, being sorted but listening I mean especially speaking to, to Johnny and to Heather it's the the passion and the emotion um, and I have no doubt that we could do this podcast on on any of the 92 football league clubs probably you know any of the non-league clubs as well and would have a similarly emotive reaction and that's because football clubs matter football clubs are important and to see one that has gone through such an incredible journey recently you know you and I were at Wembley last May watching their fans who are unbelievable on the day celebrating a Wembley victory and a promotion to the championship to think that that very club is now at danger of being expelled from the league is 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 so sad and and from Heather and, and Johnny we can hear the emotion one you know a, a fan and Heather who I'm sure supported the club for, for much of her life and, and one from Johnny who as he mentioned wasn't a Charlton fan when he arrived at the club but but now certainly is and you hope that we are doing something on this podcast by giving them a platform to speak. They both spoke about how important it is that people like Jack are covering the story and, and doing it justice because the only way that it feels like we're going to get out of this and it feels like Charlton are going to get out of this in, in a better shape than they have been previously is for people to keep talking and keep bringing this story to the very top of the agenda. I think from an EFL governance perspective, it, it's very interesting to me that these three individuals, including Paul Elliott, failed the owners and directors test just a few weeks ago. Uh, the 
the general conversation around the owners and directors test is that it, it's it's one of the easiest things in the world to pass so long as you don't have a criminal record so uh, while the EFL said that they were subject to a disqualifying condition they haven't actually said what that was and you do wonder uh, especially after what we've spoken about with, the, with with our guests today whether they have attempted to make it more robust following the criticism certainly in the wake of, of what's happened at, at Wigan Athletics so uh, it, it's just such a fascinating situation isn't it you, you feel almost like okay we've said for ages this test needs to get more strict more stringent needs to keep quote unquote the wrong people from owning football clubs but also in a sense that the rejection of those three individuals has muddied the waters of this individual case as well so how much do we believe in in a super rich potential owner from Scandinavia, Thomas Sangard. How much can the very popular fan-backed duo of uh, Andrew Barkley and Peter Varney, can they meet the requirements, which are huge financial requirements, £50 million eventually, to get the valley back, to get the training ground back under the same umbrella as the football club? These are huge issues, uh, as well as the owners and directors test. Can we... Can we petition, can we put pressure on, on someone, whether it's the EFL or whether it's not their remit, to make sure that football stadiums don't get separated from the clubs that originally owned them, who are meant to be playing there? Because it's just such an issue. It's another wrinkle in, in what is a huge, well, just a complicated situation. And is there any way where we can make sure that that doesn't happen in the future? It was a problem with Berry. It's a problem at various other clubs, including the club that you support. I mean, it, it, it's a situation, I know we're going off topic slightly, but it, it completely hamstrings Oxford United, doesn't it? The, the situation where the club is owned by the former owner. And, and it's a similar issue we've had as Charlton having now, where for each new owner that comes into the club since Kassam sold it, they have to take on the either the, the, the agreed sale price, which is much more than it's worth, or the agreed rent, which is much more than it's worth. And that, I worry, could be the thing that ends up down the line really crippling Charlton here is that agreement um, with, with Mr. De Chatelet to sell the stadium for £50 million because that means that the, the price is set. It's not up for negotiation. It's not up for, for bartering. Uh, and that is a big issue. And I, feel, I feel like we could do, maybe we will do, a, a special talking about you know football governance, talking about um, the EFL themselves because I do think whilst the EFL as Jack mentioned, are, do open themselves up for a lot of criticism. Often it's taken out of their control. Uh, often, you know, the, the as uh, Rick Parry often says, the stipulations for the fit and proper test are set. You know, it's not a case-by-case -case basis. You can't take every case and analyse them as to the benefit of the football club or whatever. If you don't hit the threshold, then you, you cannot buy the club. And if you hit the threshold, no matter what the EFL want to do, if you pass all the, all the checks, then you can't turn around and say to someone, well, no, you cannot buy that business. Feeling a little bit dodgy is not a not a criminal offence, and isn't, it's not something. It's not really a box that you can tick. Even if, as fans and as outsiders looking in, sometimes you do think, "Oh, okay, uh, I've learned a bit more about this guy's background and history." And it's hard to imagine he's going into this place with the absolute best interests of the fans and the club at heart. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right, and and I, and I do feel like things need to change and maybe just become more transparent um, going forward, but. Maybe this will be the, 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 the cause for change. Well, we've been speaking about Charlton this week. Again, not to be too pessimistic because we've got a new season just one month away and we're exciting. We're excited rather for that to 
kick off and for Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 to return in a footballing sense, even if they are going to be under some real difficulties financially uh, playing behind closed doors until fans are allowed back in. But I, I dare say we're going to be having more difficult conversations over the next few months as the financial landscape of the EFL, which had gone beyond anyone's control even before a global pandemic hit, um, gets uh, gets even more serious. So thank you for everyone who, who's listened to the end here. Hopefully um, through shining a light on, on, on exactly what the issues are and through talking with Heather Alderson, uh, who's on the board of the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust, with Johnny Jackson, uh, the assistant manager, but much more in, in terms of, of, of Charlton Athletic and his history with the club. And Jack Pitbrook, who continues to put in the calls and ask the hard questions and, and, and try and sift through so much information and, and rhetoric online to, to get to, the, to, get to the, the, the news, I suppose. Thank you to all three of those guests and, and thank you for tuning in. Um, please do share the podcast far and wide because as we've been told repeatedly uh, from those that matter, that is hugely important at the moment to keep this at the top of the news agenda. So thank you for listening to this Going Up, Going Down podcast. Please make sure you're subscribed. Each week we'll be talking EFL on this pod. We've got a whole back catalogue of interviews and, and opinion pieces that you can listen to if you've got a bit of time before the season starts. You can subscribe for free on all podcast platforms and also you'll get this podcast ad-free if you're a subscriber to The Athletic and if you're not well you can give it a go today with a 30 day free trial if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod you can sign up and get this and a whole host of other pods for free and ad free uh, and check out all of the written content on site as well 